Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right, we are on a series called Relationships, Getting Past, Playing Pretend. Last week talked about relationships and communication. This week, going to take it the next step and talk about another issue that affects all relationships. Again, I'm not talking about specific relationships like marriage relationships or uh, work relationships. I'm talking about issues that affect all relationships. So it's a little bit different take on it. And the series theme verse is, is John 13. It says, A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this... All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that puts the standard rather high that we are commanded to love uh, one another and the love between Christians, between us and others. Uh, I I believe that this applies to how we relate our relationship with others. It should be defined by this word love, but not just love, but love as Christ loved. And uh, Jesus demonstrated love <clears throat> by dying to himself. So he actually loved others more than himself. So it's not just loving others as yourself, it's loving others more than yourselves because Jesus is willing to lay, die, uh, lay down his life for the sake of others. And John, <clears throat> uh, and near the end of his life, as he's writing the letters, this is uh, from a different portion of the New Testament, First John, uh, he, he repeats this command. Of course, John became known as the apostle of love because he so emphasized the importance of love. But here, near the end of his ministry, after preaching for decades and decades, he could have been 70 or 80 years old at this point, writes, Beloved, writing to the church, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And you know, it's interesting that... Uh, he was still, there was still a need to tell the church, hey guys, you ought to be loving one another. You know, if I said you ought to be doing that, what does that imply? That you aren't doing it. (laughs) You know? And so the repetition of this command is necessary all the more uh, today as it was then. Listen, we ought to be doing it. Why? Because God so loved us. And he set the standard that we are to love according to the level that Christ loved. Uh, So every relationship should be based on Christ-like love. That's the application. But how do we do that? How do we actually love one another? How do we love our neighbors, people different than us? Similar in some ways, but, you know, maybe different. uh, How do we love our enemies? People that are radically different than us. People that may uh, disagree with us vehemently or we disagree with them. But we're still called to love them. And we got to, we ought to know how to do this. All right? Uh, because it actually defines uh, Christianity. Very few of us will ever have the opportunity to die for someone else like Jesus died for us. Okay? But we do have, and I believe that we have the opportunity almost on a daily basis to die to ourselves as an expression of loving others. So that's what uh, the theme of this series is, is how can we learn to die to ourselves 
for the good of others as a way to express Christ-like love in every relationship. Jesus said that loving like he loved was the definition of being a Christian, and it's how the world's going to know that we are Christians, right? that we're followers of Christ. And so, guys, if we don't get this down, if we don't figure out how this uh, works, uh, you know, this, uh, we're, we're failing, right? This is the key. We need to learn how to do this and do it well and, and how to live like Christ in all of our relationships. So the series, Getting Past Playing Pretend, <clears throat> look at issues that affect all of our relationships. And today we're actually going to be talking about a sensitive topic of sexuality. <clears throat> and uh, I want you to uh, try, as I am attempting, I don't know how successful I'm going to be, but I'm going to give it a shot here, (laughs) to just speak about sexuality in general, because there's so much controversy and there's so many questions, uh, uh, just we're getting uh, under a barrage of questions concerning sexuality and every aspect of sexuality. Um, But I'm just trying to approach it from a very general perspective, and I really want to talk to you and myself and to each one of us more than addressing issues we hear in the media. Does that make sense? All right, so the goal is not to make a political statement or to uh, uh, address other people's opinions. I'm actually trying to just to talk to us about, hey guys, we got to get better at this. And this is relating to one another Christ-like, in terms of our sexuality and others' sexuality, all right? <clears throat> Sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> it wasn't easy first service, so I'm going to get try it better. So <clears throat> perhaps, and this is another underlining uh, theme that I have, the confusion that we see in our society about sexuality stems from an unbiblical and an unwholesome understanding of relationships and love. I actually really believe that. I don't believe the problem is a misunderstanding of sexuality. I believe that that's a symptom of a misunderstanding or a lack of real understanding of biblical and godly and wholesome love and relationship and friendship. And so getting sexuality wrong is actually just a symptom. Broken relationships lead to broken sexuality. And so uh, rather than, than getting upset or screaming or reacting to the symptom, we need to look at the underlying issue, which is, are we really loving one another? Are we really being Christ-like? And sexuality is a really important part of life. It's very influential. And uh, thinking that anyone is beyond being influenced by their own sexuality or the sexuality of others is naive. Okay, it's, it's a huge part of being human. Um, <clears throat> I was listening to this podcast, and I couldn't remember the exact week, but it was very early in gestation, uh, when it's just a fetus. It actually, early enough that often, you know, it, it, a, a woman may not even be aware she's pregnant yet. It's that early uh, uh, in, the, in the development of the fetus that um, the... Uh, Gonads, it's actually the name of the series, which I was surprised a lot of people didn't know what that, wa- what the, that meant. <laughs> I was into biology. I wanted to be a biologist when I was a 
young guy, so I, I know what that term means, but uh, the gonads are developed very early on. <coughs> and so as a fetus, one of the first things they do is they either start producing sperm or eggs. And it can start happening before the woman even knows she's pregnant. You know? And so, wow, from such the early stage, a person's sexuality is not just active, but very active. All right? And it then affects every other uh, aspect of their uh, physical and uh, other uh, areas of development. And so, <clears throat> you know, we are sexual beings, and sexuality has an uh, impact on all relationships, and we need to be aware of it. And then add on to that the fact that our culture is saturated with explicit sexuality to the degree that I find it shocking, all right? And uh, what would have been considered illegal and pornographic when I was 10 or 12 is now just commonplace advertisements on television and considered completely normal. It's, and, and, and the, the shift has been rapid. Okay? And so we are in a society where there is explicit sexuality. That then triggers uh, the uh, influence of sexuality in all of our relationships throughout uh, uh, our day. <clears throat> and so we want to learn how to get beyond prank, playing pretend and learn how to live in a way dealing with sexuality that's Christ-like in all the different relationships that we have. So how do you do that? How do you live Christ-like in terms of sexuality? And is that even possible? Is it even appropriate to use the term Christ-like and sex in the same sentence? You know? And some people have a hard time with that, but we need to get over that because it's just a fact of life. All right? It influences all of our relationships and so, yes, it's absolutely appropriate to discuss sexuality and how it affects our interactions with one another. Christ-like love, Christ-like relationships, and Christ-like sexuality offers an answer to the confusion in our day concerning sexuality. And so we have to understand that the scripture was written in the New Testament, was written especially in a culture, actually the whole of the scripture, but especially the New Testament was written in, in a time when um, uh, our level of sexual explicit behavior would be considered abnormally subdued. Yeah, okay. And so uh, the, the norm of uh, sexuality in the Greek and Roman culture was far more explicit than we have today. Uh, it was uh, completely accepted. Every form of sexual uh, expression was accepted, practiced, legal, and actually revered by many of the different uh, pagan religions. And so in the midst of a society that had, given, uh, had no uh, limits on sexual behavior came the voice of the gospel and the voice of Christianity saying, hey, there's a better way. And that better way was the way that, was, that is described in Scripture. And that, that voice changed society, changed the whole of, of, of Western society to the point where um, pe people are now kind of reacting to what they 
they say is old-fashioned thinking, but at one point it was the radical new way. It was the option to what everyone else was offering that attracted people out of those lifestyles into the lifestyle uh, that is described as biblical. So we're just going to talk about some issues that affect <coughs> how we interact. And it's based on this verse in Ephesians 4. I'm going to read it in two different translations because it helps me to understand it when you read it from uh, a couple of different perspectives. So the New King James puts it this way. This is Paul uh, writing to the church in Ephesus saying this. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, uh, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over the lewdness to, walk all, uh, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off former conduct of the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul is writing, addressing people just like you and I in a culture that was uh, rife with all kinds of sexual temptations and different options of conduct. And he's calling them to a change of behavior based on the relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me read this again in a more contemporary translation. And I, I like the way this is worded. It says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gave, uh, gives because they have closed their minds and harden their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes put on your new nature created to be like God truly righteous and holy so Paul God is calling through these words the church the people who are hearing the gospel to change they, the way they live by changing the way they think and and behaving differently uh, live no longer as the Gentiles do so Gentiles technically refer as a racial distinction, and it was Jews, which the focus of the entire Old Testament is on the descendants of Abraham, because it was through the descendants of Abraham the Messiah came, the Messiah being Jesus Christ. He was to be King of kings, Lord of lords, and he is a Lord and Savior of all mankind. And so in Christ, all mankind uh, gain opportunity for salvation. And so there's actually a change in the New Testament of the meaning of the word Gentile. All right, uh, It redefines the term Gentile from being an ethnic distinction to becoming an ethical distinction. Right? Uh, and when he says, don't behave the way they behave, he's no longer talking about their ethnicity, he's talking about their uh, ethical persuasions and how they live. 
because the church in Ephesus was ethnically diverse. It was a Gentile church. It was a Roman city uh, that was a major trading port, and it had people from all nations uh, would come to that city and live, and, and many of them became Christians. The gospel does not differentiate ethni ethnically. Okay, rather it unites all mankind. That's one of the hallmarks of the gospel is that Jew and Gentile divisions no longer matter. We're all one in Christ and, and we actually celebrate ethnic diversity in Christ. In fact, we read in, the, in Revelations that in heaven, John sees a glimpse into heaven and he sees all the people worshiping God from every tribe and every tongue. And the fact that he can see that they're from different tribes and they're speaking different languages, it means that our ethnic, unique aspects of our ethnicity are eternal. We carry that on into heaven. Isn't that great? I think it's fantastic, all right, that when we get to heaven, it's going to be very diverse uh, ethnically. And it changes the definition from an ethnic de definition to an ethical uh, de differentiation. The gospel now differenti differentiates us ethically and calls us to follow Jesus by living Christ-like. It's how we live our lives that make the difference. And we are to not live as those people who don't know Christ live because they're hopelessly confused. And this verse here, it says, who being past feeling... I just looked that up, actually, during worship. I was like, oh, I wonder what that word was. I didn't look that up in my studies. Uh, and the word being past feeling can be translated, they're calloused. All right? Calloused. Means they can't, you never have a callous? You, you can't feel there anymore because it's been worn so much. You know, it's a good thing if you're playing guitar, you need calluses, right? If you're working hard, you need calluses. But you don't want to be calloused in your feelings. All right? But this is how he's describing uh, the condition of people that live apart from Christ, having given themselves over to lewdness, to walk all uh, uncleanness and greediness, or in a New uh, Living Translation, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eager, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. <clears throat> I actually chose this verse because it uses general terms uh, that uh, instead of the specific terms for specific behaviors that you can find in other places like uh, Romans and, and Leviticus and, other, and lots of other places in the New Testament. Because sometimes people will nitpick the various words, but this passage is just talking in broad terms about sexual behavior and all behavior that could be defined as impure. And it's important to understand um, that Jesus actually does talk about things like homosexuality and bestiality and polygamy and all kinds of different things. When he refers to sexual uh, morality, he's referring to the standards that were established and held true by the teachings of the Old Testament, okay? And the teachings that had been developed by centuries and centuries of study and practice of, as to what, meant, what was good, what was proper, what reflected the will and the nature of God in his intentional design for humanity. And so uh, just because they refer as here to a general term of sexual behavior, it doesn't have to go into specifics every time. 
he's referring to all those specifics that are clearly defined throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And he gets very clear uh, as to how we are to treat one another in the area of sexuality. And most of the advances, if not all of the advances, for equality between the sexes are a direct result of the truths that are taught throughout the whole of Scripture. God's intention was actually to bring healing and redemption to this area as well as to every area. But it, so it does refer, this passage does refer to sexual behavior uh, particularly, but it also refers to any form of behavior that, that uh, comes out of being self-centered rather than Christ-centered. And that's what we really need to, to focus on. So just to unpack that word and what it means, the, the words that were used, lust, uh, lewdness and impure behavior, uh, can be defined as uh, lustful pleasure, sensuality, unbridled loss, excess. This word I actually like, even though it's not used in our day. It's called licentiousness. Um, probably don't say that too much, do you? <clears throat> don't hear that on television. Uh, but it's a very good word. It, it basically means license to do whatever you want, licentiousness. All right, and it's one of the reasons I think it's been extracted from our uh, language, not only because it's long and hard to say, <laughs> but it's actually celebrated today to have license to do whatever. You can't tell me what I can or cannot do. I can do whatever I want. I mean, that's like one of the rallying points of modern humanity, uh, at least Western civilization, or especially American civilization, when actually the Bible says that in and of itself is impure behavior, okay? Uh, and it's our hyper-individualism. Uh, yeah, there's some good, good parts about individualism, but there's some really bad parts because it's the ultimate expression of self-centeredness. Um, lasciviousness describes a behavior that is driven uh, by thoughts of sex. <clears throat> I know none, no one here ever has to deal with that, right? Because you're all holier than thou. <laughs> but the reality is, my reality in my own life, and the reality I know from those of you who have talked to me, <laughs> and from 30 years of ministry, is we all struggle with this in some way or another. We all struggle, and especially in our culture, that we're under a constant barrage of sexual messages. Uh, it influences us, and to think that we're exempt from it is not right thinking. So one commentator explains this passage or these words this way. Lasciviousness is personified. Um, so it, it, he's saying in the Greek, Paul actually takes the idea of being um, uh, behavior driven by thoughts of sex to becoming a person that the um, Gentiles are represented as having delivered themselves over to her jurisdiction. In other words, they've come under the rule and the reign of sexual uh, uh, obsession. So this is a picture of the Gentile world, unclean, carnal, uh, with debauchery of every kind, and it flourished among them without limit or restraint. Almost all of the gods and goddesses were of this character, and you can do the research. Uh, the major uh, Greek and Roman gods, and uh, even to this day, uh, in many other cultures, 
are very, very hypersexualized. Um, <clears throat> and uh, in Ephesus was the temple to uh, Diana, and at one point, uh, history records that they had over 10,000 temple prostitutes. And so you, you have this little church in this town called Ephesus, and the big mega church, of course it wasn't a church, the mega temple that people came from all over the world to attend, had 10,000 prostitutes of every form. And they actually considered it a form of worship to go and engage the temple prostitutes. And so, yeah, engaging prostitutes as a form of worship is bad, but engaging prostitution is bad and having sex with people that you're not in covenant relationship is actually bad. And so it's all bad. And it's just the whole world had been engulfed in um, uh, an unbiblical, unwholesome sexuality as our world is. And we're not even to the extreme that that world was. The message of the gospel changed that world. And it has the power in our day to change our world. But listen, it has the power to change your world and the way you think and the way you behave, which is what I'm really talking about. Uh, more common, uh, uh, contemporary uh, commentary writes concerning this verse, premarital or extramarital sex, homosexual intercourse, idolatry were typical Gentile sins from which nearly all Jews abstain. The Jews uh, maintain the traditions taught in the Old Testament. Uh, by contrast, pagans were raised in this way. Many Greek boys were ushered into manhood by older man's molestation. And that was a common form of practice, uh, and it still exists in many cultures today. Uh, there's actually a name for it. It's called pedastry. And it's just, just horrible. Um, <clears throat> uh, and so many of the problems that we're facing today, both uh, uh, the sexual revolution, if you call it, or the homosexual uh, agenda uh, and all the different issues of gender. These are not new problems. They're, they're human problems. And God has an answer to them and invites us to be, we need to first embrace the answer and live it out. Uh, this verse reveals, I think this is very important, that unclean or improper sexuality is driven by something deeper, and that's greed. All right? And greed can manifest itself in many ways, but he's talking specifically about the greed in the area of sensuality. And greed is just that the monster inside that wants more. I want more! You know? I don't have that. I want it! You know? Regardless of what it is. And for some people, it's more money! You know, for some people it's more power, for some people it's more sex, or sex of a different kind, you know, and for some of us, it's all of that combined, all right? <clears throat> and so greed is that underlying uh, issue, greedy desire, covetousness, or word, another word that's been removed from our language is avarice. How many know what avarice is? How many have heard the word before? Yeah, if you raise Catholic, it's one of the seven deadly sins. And it means excessive or insatiable desire. And here it's used in the context of lewdness and so in the context of sexual desire. So greed is the expression of self-centeredness. And that's what we're to turn from. That's what uh, God is calling us to, to no longer live that way. And the reason is this verse. This is the key verse. Because but you have not so learned Christ. All right? That's not the way Jesus lived. 
That's not the way you learned how to live. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Notice he's saying, look to Jesus. The gospel gives us a new standard of behavior. It's not based on a person's ethnicity. It's not based on a people group. It's based on a single person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And we are to our behavior after his behavior. Who do you compare yourself with? Jesus Christ. And so in one sense, wow, that's a high standard. You're darn right it is. All right? But when you, when you compare yourself to that standard, you'll always be going in the right direction. Even if you fall short, you'll fall in the right direction. Are you hearing me? And you get back up and you continue after him. That's what it means to live Christ-like. 20 times in the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me as the definition of being a Christian. What does he mean by follow me? He means live like he lived. In every way. And I believe that Jesus, Jesus was a man. He had sexuality. He maintained sexual behavior appropriately throughout his whole life. He lived without sin. All right? Doesn't mean he was asexual. It means that he didn't allow his sexuality to lead him into behaving in a way that was contrary to the way God instructs him to live. According to that. He honored that. Paul said the same thing. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so living like Christ. So how do we apply this to sexuality? Well, I believe, and it's kind of an awkward way to say it, but every aspect or expression of our sexuality needs to treat others for their good and their best, not to meet our own needs or desires, even to the point of dying to ourselves. All right? And so when you interact with someone else, you make sure in terms of, you know, there's sexual differences. We don't want to use our sexuality to abuse, misuse, or mistreat someone else. And you know what? It's, has, ever, has anyone ever experienced being mistreated in a, in a way that's sexually... Intimidated in a workplace because your boss <coughs> is of the opposite gender, uh, not not listened to because you don't have a deep deep enough voice. Does anyone use their uh, sexuality to entice you to do something that uh, you didn't want to get involved in? Listen, it happens all the time, in many many ways, and in every uh, setting. I think that this cry, and we're hearing it's kind of the volumes turned up uh, for, uh, for good uh, in our day, that uh, the, uh, the cry for justice and equity and, 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 uh, and um, a response to the misuse of sexuality, the answer to it is living Christ-like. And we need to get this down. We need to learn how to treat others uh, in a way that reflects Christ-like love and not manipulation or intimidation. If people choose to put the good of others above their, beating their own desires, it would instantly remove every form of chauvinism and sexism and seduction and every form of sexual misconduct and molestation. All right? 
Think about it. Uh, it really would. And the church is not exempt to this. Uh, we constantly hear, I mean, right now it's screaming. We're hearing of, in the church, abuse happenings. Why? Because someone put their desires, their needs, their wants above the good of someone else. And God forbids that. And so we need to talk about it. We need to realize, hey, when I interact with someone, I have to acknowledge there's sexual differences, and so that needs to affect how I treat this person. All right? And I should find a way to honor them and honor their sexuality. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That is such a powerful, powerful sentence. Because it says that women are equally created in God's image as men. And that, in fact, you can only get the fullness of the picture of God's image when you have both male and female. All right? And so any form of male chauvinism that uh, intimidates or discriminates against women is actually a violation of the image of God. And any women using sex to seduce or manipulate or influence men in a form of behavior that is not godly is an insult against the image of God. All right? And so learning how to respect and acknowledge that we are image bearers of God in our sexuality is really the main point that gets missed in most of the discussions of sexuality. We're to recognize that every woman's femininity and every man's masculinity is a reflection of God in them and something that is to be considered sacred, uh, revered. And in doing so, we would never violate God to gratify our own greed. All right? Nor would we misuse our own sexuality because that would be a violation of our identity as an image bearer of the nature of God. This is really important stuff, isn't it? It's no longer about me or you even. Now we're saying, what I'm hoping you see is that to live love Christ-like in the area of sexuality is to respect the image of God that we reflect. And so it's about your relationship with God. <clears throat> Recognizing the sanctuary. Uh, I just said that, didn't I? You did. Very well. Yeah, I just said it better than I wrote. And this applies to guys relating to other guys. And women relating to other women. And men relating to women and women relating to men. Listen, we can't learn how to relate to one another by watching television shows. <laughs> Have you watched any TV shows lately? Yes. <laughs> Kathy and I will sit down. Let's, let's, let's check on, you know, we, thank God for Netflix. <laughs> but then you run out of the series. Oh, let's find another series. All right. you know, halfway through is the first episode, often we're like, nope. It's like, wow. <clears throat> but the world, and by the world, what do I mean by that? 
How many millions upon millions of people are just watching that? That's the, 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 the voice of the non-biblical definition of what is right is not just at a 10. It's like at a 100 volume. And it never stops. And then we as Christians are like, but doesn't it say, I'm sure it means, and yeah, Jesus loves you. And, my, and what I'm trying to say is, get it right first in yourself, and you will be a beacon of light. All right? And when you fail, and you look at a person of the opposite sex, and you have lustful thoughts, like Jesus said, own up to it. That's adultery. Repent. Right? If you do something that's inappropriate, if you intimidate someone, uh, uh, because you're bigger or stronger, you have a deeper voice, you repent. You say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. What were you saying? <laughs> you learn to honor one another, love one another in this way, and I think it has the power. It's the only way that we can shift the, 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 the massive uh, change that are happening in our culture is if we begin first with ourselves and among ourselves and love and respect one another as image bearers of God and not violate our own selves as well because we realize that's not who I really am. I'm not going to look at that because that is defiled. There's no way you can look at a pornographic picture of someone and not violate that person and violate your own self. And if you do it, repent of it. Go to God and say, forgive me. Don't stop repenting. And, and look to Jesus for the higher standard and follow that standard. You know? And if you do that, you begin to honor sexuality and honor God's image in others and in yourself. And it changes the whole uh, discussion radically. It's no longer about what you want. It's no longer, no longer about what they want. It's about recognizing Christ and, and denying yourself, but denying the, 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 the carnal part of it. <clears throat> Let me get to this last part. It says that there's three steps here. It says that you, uh, that's summed up in verse 22 to 24. It says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Three steps. Put off. And that can be said, throw it away. Uh, the old way. And um, the way this is written and the way it works, folks, is that this is a journey, and as far as I know, it's something that you never finish until you get into God's presence. And so you need to keep putting off any behavior that is not godly. And then the middle step is really important. Because you can't just change, you can't, it's not behavior modification, okay? In that sense. It's, it's a transformation, behavior transformation. Because this middle part is that you need to be renewed in the way you think and the way your spirit operates. And you can only do that when you go to Jesus, when you encounter him personally. 
And he empowers you then to live as new creations. So put off, identify the things that are contrary to Christ. Jesus wouldn't treat a person that way. I'm not going to treat a person that way. I'm sorry I treated a person that way. I'm going to stop treating a person that way. And I'm going to learn, Jesus, teach me how to treat a person the right way. Teach me how to treat myself the right way. Teach me how to treat my sexuality the right way and other sexuality the right way. Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Okay? And then behave based on that renewed thought. 